Isaiah 44, beginning in verse 1. Yet hear now, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. They will spring up among the grass like willows by the watercourses. One will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Another will write with his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. There is, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come. Let them show these things to them. Do not fear, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. Our Lord, there is no other rock. There is no other one whom we can throw our arms around and know that we are safe, secure, immovable. We are asking that today, as we meet with you, that you will be our shepherd in this time together that we will leave here, each one of us, with a single, powerful understanding about you, something that has been clarified, or maybe brand new or clarified, that will enable us to more firmly hold to, by the help of your Holy Spirit, more firmly hold to that rock, and that we will see in the week to come an outcome of having been here in your presence, listening to you, hearing the voice of your Holy Spirit from your word. We ask for this divine outcome from the God who is more eager to bless us than we are to be blessed, more eager to father us than we are to be fathered, more eager to be that solid rock, that anchor for us, than we are even to be granted that blessing. Lord, we ask that you would show yourself strong on behalf of your sometimes foolish children. We ask this of you, good shepherd, Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Holy Spirit's letter 
to the Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by the putting off by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you, being dead, in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival, or a new moon, or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast the flesh." excuse me, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, from whom all the body nourished in it together by the joints and ligaments grows grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Again, verse 11, in him you are, were also circumcised with a circumcision without hand, made without hands. In this chapter, as we looked at it last week, the opening portion of Colossians chapter 2, Paul is dealing with this Colossian congregation. Colossae is a city in what is modern-day south-central south Turkey. It's about six miles from the city of Laodicea. They're in the same river valley. And the Colossians, Paul has never been there. But he, has, he knows about this congregation. They, he's gotten a great testimony about them. He's sending words of encouragement back to them. But just like all of the other congregations in the Mediterranean Roman world, they're being pulled in different directions by the cultures, plural, the two principal cultures that are impacting, unrighteously impacting, the churches are the culture of the Greek wisdom on the one hand and the Jewish religiosity on the other. There is, in fact, a third culture, and it is the culture created by God. 
whose world, whose universe do we live in? We live in a universe that has the creator God as the absolute unrestrained Lord of this creation. He spoke the worlds into existence. By the way, the Bible is very, very clear. It was God the Son, the second person of the triunity, who spoke the worlds into existence. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning. John 1, in the beginning, was the Word, the Speaker, And the speaker, the Lagos, was with God in a face-to-face relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. A triune God who are in perfect communication, there is no distinction between the reality of the three persons of the Trinity in their innate person. There is a distinction in their functions. And God the Son was the creative agent of the Godhead, of that triunity. And he, by him all things were created. In the beginning was the word, the speaker. What does it say in Genesis 1? And God said, and God said, and God said, and God spoke, and God spoke. In the beginning was the speaker, and the speaker was with God. And this is the Greek word order, and God was the speaker. As emphatic as it could possibly be. He is unrestrained, fully God. And John's gospel of all the Gospels is the most emphatic. Now, they all say it, but it's the most emphatic with He is God, He is God, He is God. He who has seen me, Jesus said, has seen the Father. Greek wisdom doesn't even hold a candle to the reality of who God is, who the Son is. He is the Creator God, and if you want to sit at the foot of of the philosopher of all philosophers, sit at Jesus' feet. And he will tell you about his nature and his ways. And you will be enabled to walk in authentic wisdom. And in the first section, verses 1 through 10 of Colossians 2, Paul is saying, don't be knuckleheads. Seeking wisdom from the wrong people, from the wrong place. Seek Christ. He is the wise, true philosopher. He is the one for whom you should seek truth. Then beginning in verse 11, and as I read the passage, he is now addressing the other culture that is the major culture pulling them away from dwelling in Christ, and that is the Jewish religiosity. Not authentic Judaism, not authentic Jewish religion, the made-up format, most most on display in the Pharisees. What is Paul's own background, his own life story? He was raised a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. He was sent by his father, Obviously a very wealthy guy in Tarsus, what is modern south part of modern-day Turkey. He was sent to Jerusalem to study at the feet of Gamaliel, the teacher of all teachers among the Pharisees. And Paul was his, Saul of Tarsus, was his star 
pupil, and then the gospel erupts, Jesus erupts, Jesus comes, he pays sin's penalty for the entire, and all of this gospel story goes out that makes, that actually tells the truth, it puts on display the absolute unrighteousness that was promoted by Pharisaism. Pharisaism was all about the clothes that you wear, the customs that you keep, the foods that you do and do not eat, the people that you associate with and don't associate with. What kind of people did Jesus associate with? Well, he touched lepers and cleansed them. He met this Samaritan woman at the well who had been married five times and was now living with a man who wasn't her husband. And she is ushered into the kingdom and she becomes the one who sets off the great turning of that city of Sychar. And Jesus modeled authentic righteousness, holiness in an encounter with human beings. That's what Jesus modeled. And what is the apostle saying here? In him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Now, wait a minute. Where does circumcision come from? Circumcision starts in Genesis chapter 17. I just love this reality. Simple question. Abraham. Was Abraham a Jew or a Gentile when God ushered him into the kingdom? He was a Gentile. Abraham is called by God with this outrageous, fantastic promise. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless the world through you. I'm going to give you the western third of the fertile crescent. That's all going to become yours. And I'm going to do all this blessing on you. And that's Genesis 12. Genesis 15. Uh, Lord, my wife Sarah and I, we still haven't produced even one child and yet you're going to grant me all that promise recorded there in our Bibles in Gen- what we call Genesis 12. And God says to this man sitting in his temple in the middle of the night, he says, step out of your tent. If you can count the number of stars, you can count the number of your descendants. If you can count the grains of sand on the seashore, you can count the number of your descendants. And Abram believed God to do for him what he had already proven he couldn't do for himself, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And that is the gospel template. Lord, I am a sinful human being. I've already disqualified myself because of even one sin. I've disqualified myself from ever having a welcome with the Holy God. And God says, I'm going to qualify you for what you by doing for you what you can't do for yourself. I'm going to send my son. He's going to pay sin's penalty for you so that I can grant to you a full welcome with me for free as a gift. So here's the gospel template, Genesis 15. And it's Genesis 17, several years later, when God says, okay, after Isaac has been born, after Ishmael has been born, he gives him the ritual of circumcision, which is that physical ritual that establishes that ethnic distinction of the of Israel from the rest of humanity 
It didn't get them saved. It didn't get them justified. They already had that promise, that gospel promise. And of course, even pre-Abraham, and as I've quoted it, you get used to it. You're going to hear it a lot of times. Job 19.25, Job, who predated Abraham, I know that my Redeemer lives and will stand on the earth. And though after my flesh worms destroy this body, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried from within my own flesh. I will see God justified, forgiven, yanked out of my grave into a welcome in God's, into God's presence. And that's before Abraham. In him you also were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now he's not talking about Jesus' own circumcision on Jesus' eighth day of life. He's talking about the circumcision that, what is that distinct ritual that sets us aside? We are God's people. Just as there was a circumcision ritual that created, made someone a distinct member of that body called Israel, there is a distinct ritual that there is a visual thing, and it's called baptism. Baptism. Now, baptism doesn't begin with the New Testament. It didn't begin with John the Baptist. Baptism is found in the book of Leviticus, but... It wasn't used to create a distinction for the Israeli people. In the tabernacle, later the temple, they had this place you could step down into for a ritual cleansing called a mikvah. And you would step down into that and it would be a ritual cleansing. If, if you happen to touch a carcass, <laughs> you're ritually unclean. You got to get cleansed. You'd go into that mikvah. And the larger homes in the Jewish community, they would have their own mikvah in their own house. The requirement was that the water, whether it's in the tabernacle, later the temple, or the water in your own mikvah, in your own house, it had to be what was called live water from a flowing river or stream. It couldn't be from a pond where it's just static water sitting there. No, it had to be from a love. And John the Baptist, who was a Levitical priest, when he began his ministry, takes that ritual, cleansing ritual element, and he's going all over Judea and outside of Judea, as well as he's going to the far side of the Jordan many times, and he is taking that Levitical ritual, and he is saying to the people, both Jews and Gentiles, but principally Jews, repent. Change your orientation. Abandon your own self-righteousness. Repent. And believe the gospel. And repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All of the promises made by the Hebrew prophets that God is going to come and set everything in order, is on the table, it's coming, it's coming, you better be ready, repent. And that word means, metanoia means, change your orientation, abandon what you thought created a welcome for you in favor of what? God's mercy. God's mercy. God's mercy. And so there were people that came heard the message of John the Baptist, and they accepted that, and they were baptized. 
Just as in the mikveh in the tabernacle or the temple or the mikveh in people's, it was a place you stepped down into and you got immersed. I'm sorry. I hope I'm not offending you, but it wasn't sprinkling. It wasn't pouring. It was an immersion thing. And note in the gospel accounts, it's talking about John. Well, he was out there because there was plenty of water in that area, plenty of water over. That's why he he had to go where there was plenty of water because he was going to be. And so baptism became that public ritual, for lack of a better word, that people were people who come out and publicly say, I am believing what John the Baptist said, and I'm going to stand shoulder to shoulder with him, and I'm going to take whatever blessing or persecution well, that comes my way because I'm standing shoulder to shoulder with John the Baptist. And when Jesus began his public ministry, what, does the gospel, what did the gospel say? What, what was his beginning message? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now the Bible is very clear. Jesus never baptized anybody. But his apostles did. His apostles did. And I think that's actually was done because Jesus didn't want to, oh yeah, I got the Jesus disciple. You only got the Peter dis- or baptism. <laughs> I, got the, I got the Jesus baptism. No, stop it. <laughs> but it was their way, in the same way that circumcision in Israel was a way of making a public stand on behalf of your newborn son. He is attached to this promise so baptism became that distinctive ritual that set us up where we took a public stand for Christ. In him, you, all, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Now, let's back up here a little more. In Now, it's especially clear in Paul's letter to the Romans. We as fallen human beings, sons and daughters of Adam, have a problem, a twofold problem. Number one, we stand condemned before the holy God. And in Paul's letter to the Romans, he is extremely consistent, extremely consistent. The answer to my condemnation problem is faith in Christ. When I tra- abandon trust in myself, my own works in favor of what Jesus has done, I become justified. I become, I have a, I'm moved from a standing of unrighteousness and condemnation to a standing of righteousness. My sins are completely forgiven. They're, the guilt of my sin is completely removed. It's swept away, and the very righteousness of God the Son come in the flesh becomes mine. It is That is gifted to me. So I have this standing before God, but I also have a second problem. I am sinful. And the solution word in Paul's letter to the Romans for my sinfulness is the word salvation, deliverance. And there are two aspects to that. Number one, what has God done to help me deal with my sinfulness? He's granted me the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, number one. Number two, I take a public stand for him. 
As he has said in Matthew 10 to the apostles, Jesus says to the apostles, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. If you want all of heaven's resources poured out to you for your deliverance, take a stand for me. Take a stand for me. Paul summarizes this in the book of Romans with this word, Romans 10.10. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness, unto justification. The words righteousness and justification are translating the same word. With the heart, we believe. We transfer our trust from ourselves to the work of Christ. With the heart, we believe unto justification. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. When I take a public stand for Christ here, and typically in the normal course of the Christian life, That would be, we come to faith in Christ and we are publicly baptized. And by the way, they didn't have baptistries in churches. They went out to the (laughs) place where the women drew water (laughs) every morning for their homes to take home, or they did it in the public square where there was a fountain. They wanted it to be as public as possible. Because I'm taking a public stand for Jesus. And this community is going to treat me exactly the same way they would have treated Jesus. That could be good or that could be bad. But I'm taking a public stand for Christ. In the same way that that circumcision was the taking a public stand on behalf of your newborn son for identifying him with that work of God in creating the nation Israel. I'm taking a public stand by the ritual of baptism. Baptism became the circumcision replacement for this new body of redeemed people called the church. Buried with him in baptism. When I took a public stand for Christ, I died to the world. I died to my old friends in sin. Those guys that I used to rub shoulders with at the down at the bar They may mock me. They may come to me and ask for more information. They want to hear about this gospel too. But they're going to treat me exactly the same way they would have treated Jesus. Buried with him in baptism in which you you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God. What is this raise? That is all of heaven's resources now become yours in your walk in this hostile environment. Buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith. I've died to my old world. I've come alive to a new world. Being raised, who raised him, being, uh, you were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. Let's stop right here. What he's going for here is he is talking about the Roman culture and what they did. If you were taken into court, and convicted of, a, of cr- a crime or a series of crimes. In the Roman court system, and by the way, this is really interesting, in the Roman world, the language of the Roman world was not Latin. 
it was Greek. Even in the Roman Senate, the Roman senators are yelling at each other in Greek, not Latin, because Greek was the language of culture and civilization. So even in the Roman court system, they're using Greek, not Latin. And what they would do is if they convicted you of a crime or a series of crimes, they would make out an actual crime bill for you. And when you had paid off every fine, paid off every penalty, so much time in the salt mines, so much, so many wax of throw, whatever it was, they would write a word across your crime bill, across that papyrus, and it was the Greek word tetelestai, paid in, that was a Greek word used in the marketplace and in the court system for paid in full. When Jesus was on the cross, we have seven words in the gospel accounts that Jesus cried out from the cross or spoke from the cross. The sixth of those seven was that word, tetelestai. That word that was scrawled across your crime bill, tetelestai. That word that was scrawled across your bill in the marketplace when you're filling your basket with vegetables. When you had paid your bill to the marketer, they wrote tetelestai across your vegetable bill, your brisket bill. And everybody at the foot of Jesus' cross knew the meaning. Paid in full, paid in full. And simultaneous with that, what happened? In the temple, the veil of the temple, that two to three inch thick tapestry was torn in two from top to bottom. And (laughs) suddenly all these priests could see into the Holy of Holies, which formerly had been a death penalty. And now they have a welcome with God. Because Jesus just paid sin's penalty for them on the cross, as well as for us. And that's what he's referring to here. He has wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, having, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And what they would do in the Roman court system, when they wrote to Telestai across your crime bill, they would roll up that papyrus and hold it out for you, and you could reach out and take that home with you. And you would nail it to your front door so that if any of your old neighbors saw you in the marketplace or whatever and said, oh, that guy Brandon, he needs to, he needs to be, he's supposed to be in the salt mines. He's like, you could take him by the hand, lead him to your front door and say, no, paid in full, go away, stop it. Jesus nailed it to the cross. He's, Paul is clearly pointing to that Roman legal custom. If you had ears to hear what's going on after Jesus said, to Telestai, paid in full, if you'd been quietly listening, you would have heard a bang, 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 as God nailed that to his cross. Now I'm making that up, okay? But folks, Jesus paid sin's penalty for us. Our, the guilt of our sin, that issue has been totally, completely addressed. I abandoned trust in my own works in favor of what Jesus did for me on the cross as my sacrifice. What did John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He took away my sin. All I have to do is have enough faith to hold out an empty hand so he can place that scroll in my hand. That's all he asks of me. 
He's done it. Welcome the benefit. He has wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. A clear reference to that Roman legal custom. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public, public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He broke Satan's power. What had God said to the serpent in the garden? I'm going to bring a seed, Genesis 3.15, I'm going to bring a seed from the woman. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. <laughs> I'm going to bring a seed from the woman, and he will bruise your head, which to a serpent is lethal, and you're going to bruise his heel. When Jesus was on the cross, he crushed the serpent's head. Now, one of those fangs went into his heel but he crushed the serpent's head. He broke Satan's power. And let me tell you, I know this is true. If, you're, if you have become an authentic follower of Jesus, Satan has been reminding you of all the things you've ever done to disqualify you from a welcome with God. He's after you, after you, reminding you, reminding you. He is the Revelation chapter 12. He stands before the throne of God day and night accusing the brethren. And folks, he doesn't have to make anything up about me. He also accuses you to you. But you can turn around and spit in his eye and say, no, Jesus paid that, the penalty for that. Be gone, be gone, be gone. In the name of Jesus, the Redeemer, be gone. And he must leave. You have authority over the principalities and powers. You can dismiss them. Having disarmed, he broke their power over you. Now, are they going to stand there and they're going to parade? They're going to act like they still have that power, but they do not. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or in regard to festival. Don't go back to your, that orientation of legalism, of religiosity. You are, made, you are granted a welcome before the Holy God solely on the basis of what Jesus accomplished for you. Don't insult Jesus by saying, oh, well, I can add to my Jesus righteousness with my own works righteousness. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. Now, you've got these things. Many of these things he's referring to are there in the book of Leviticus. But it was a format that was set in place that when we got redeemed, when Jesus accomplished his work on the cross, okay, now we can set this old format aside and step into this new format. Before the day of Pentecost, which happened 10 days after Jesus' ascension into heaven, people were frustrated. The saints of God would be, they didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit unless they were a prophet. And sometimes then it was a come and go thing. But the indwelling of the Holy Spirit became 
the full-time right of all of God's people. We actually have the indwelling resource to walk with him. And those, that old format of keeping things, you know, sometimes you got buildings, you've seen these buildings, they're about to collapse and they put props on the outside. The legal system of Judaism was a, was a prop to hold the building from collapse. Well, now that the building has been completed with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you can take the props away. Don't let anybody judge you in terms of props. You can set those things aside. Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. You have God the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. You have God the Holy, you have God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ as your high priest. All of heaven's resources are yours. 1 John 2, 1 and 2, my little children. These things I write to you that you might not sin. I have some advice for you and for me. Don't sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate, a high priest, a defense attorney with the Father, even Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation, fancy word for satisfaction for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. He satisfied the righteous demands of the holy God. We have a, an unrestrained glad welcome with the holy God. Don't let Satan tell you otherwise. Let no one cheat you of your reward. The substances of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward. Taking delight in false humility and worship of angels as we went through the letter to the Hebrews. Those people were actually being drawn by a cult a Jewish cult that actually elevated angel worship. Don't fall for that nonsense. Worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head. Hold fast to the head. Keep your grip on Jesus. He got it all done. Not only the accomplishment he made for us on the cross, But even today, he is there incessantly as our high priest, as our intercessor. And not holding fast the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows into the increase increase that is from God. And God will grant you outcomes that you never could have imagined. Never could have imagined that fellow Nicodemus, a ruler of the, a member of the Sanhedrin, one of the leading teachers of the Pharisees, Jesus even calls him the rabbi of Israel. And as you read John's gospel, you find Nicodemus, not only that amazing conversation there in John 3, but then halfway Towards the end of John, you have him standing up and trying to defend Jesus' Sanhedrin, getting shouted down, but he's also one of the two men who receives Jesus' body from the cross. He came out publicly for Jesus. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, from the old religiosity, 
if you died with Christ, if you took a stand, public stand for him and stepped away from the world's format or formats, there's more than one, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Don't go back to what never worked before. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concerning things which perish with the using. According to the commandments and doctrines of men, of men, not God, of men. These things indeed have the appearance of wisdom. Here is a fellow who was a Pharisee. He thought he was in, he, I mean, people really need to look up to me. You know, I'm, I'm Saul of Tarsus, the son, the student of Gamaliel. I'm this super righteous Pharisee. People really need to look at me with admiration. That's my whole motivation, by the way, in all of this is what people think of me. And he's, here is that fellow now saying, don't go with that nonsense. I wasted so much of my life doing that. Don't imitate my stupidity according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These indeed have the, an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are in fact, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. In fact, the Pharisees were one of the most flesh-absorbed people because seeking the worship of the people around them, that was their actual motivation they were seeking they were walking in pride and actually some of them were insane enough to believe they actually deserved the accolades of men and i love what jesus says to saul of tarsus who became paul the apostle when he face plants him in the dirt outside the gates of damascus and jesus speaks to him and saul of tarsus says who are you lord i am jesus whom you are persecuting it is hard for you to kick against the goats. And what does that tell us? The man who had all this pharisaical righteousness on display, in fact, knew. He knew. His conscience was beating the snot out of him. Nobody around him knew it except the Lord. But that's what was happening. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And he abandoned his self-righteousness in faith for a, of the righteousness of Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying to us. Don't be foolish like I was foolish. Your whole life description as far as your orientation. What does repent mean? Change your orientation. That's what it means. Metanoia. Change your orientation. My whole orientation became Jesus and what he accomplished for me on the cross, and what he accomplishes and provides for me right now as my intercessor. Let's pray together. Our Lord, left to ourselves, we are all foolish. Left to ourselves, we will follow some foolish path that will have the appearance of, of religion or wisdom, and it's actually neither wise nor anything that impresses you. The only thing, the only wisdom that works is yours. The only righteousness that is authentic 
Is that what you provided through your son's work on the cross and in his present provision for us by his being our intercessor and by granting to us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? We ask that you would enable us to walk oriented to what you declare instead of any of these other options. We ask for this wisdom the rest of this day, every hour by the hour, or the rest of this week, every day, and Lord, may we become more and more and more consistent in this. We ask this of you. We need your help to do this. We need your strength. We need your guidance. We ask all of this in your name, Good Shepherd, High Priest, our Intercessor Jesus. Amen. I would invite you.